I would say this from the very beginning, it's not about us this, it's about so many other people. We were so blessed with good friends, good role models, couples who... It, it didn't matter the, what assembly we were in. Yeah. There was usually an older couple or at least another couple who really challenged us about our Christian life. So we were just talking about this before uh, as we were thinking about the podcast that really there's very little comes down to us. There's people who motivated you, people who influenced you, people who just were role models and you watched them and thought, well, that's the type of Christian I would like to be. And I think that anybody that's listening and you maybe think, well, I've never done what people perceive to be well-known things or whatever, how people describe it. You might be the person who's actually been the reason somebody's doing that and they might never have got there if it wasn't for you. And I, we both think that's really important. Welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. So it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce tonight Stephen and Carl Baker. So how are you both? We're well, thank you. Yeah, we're doing very well, thanks. Nice to be with you, Dan. It's good to be here and uh, we're thankfully keeping well. Good. Well, my first question is always, what was your home life like and what part did Christianity play? So perhaps, Carol, you can start off with this one. Well, I had a great home life as a child. My grandparents on my mum's side were farmers, so we spent a lot of time in the country. And I went to a little country primary school with just three teachers. Still keep in touch with a lot of the friends from there. And my mum and dad were loving, caring parents. She couldn't have asked for better. And they both loved the Lord Jesus and we were brought up in a, a home like that and it was good. I really can't say anything negative about it at all. Oh, was that Balamina? That was Balamina. Okay. The centre of the universe. <laughs> Stephen, what about yourself? Well, my home life was quite different apart from obviously my, well, not obviously, but I was privileged to be brought up in a home where my parents were Christians so that was the same, but we didn't live in the one place for very long. So I was born in the south of England in Hastings. Then my parents went back to Liverpool where my father was from, but my mother was from Belfast. We stayed there for two years. Then we moved to Greenock in Scotland. And I'll not give you the whole tour, but we moved about Scotland with my father's job. And then I guess it must have been in my blood because I joined a bank and they moved me about all over the place. So I guess we've lived in Liverpool now for 15 years. That's probably the longest I've lived in any one place in my life, whereas Cal was brought up in the same place for many, many years. When did that home life of spiritual upbringing, that Christian lifestyle, when did that actually become a personal trust in the saviour for yourselves? Well, I was very, very young. I was five when I trusted the Lord Jesus. And I don't even remember any process. I just know that apparently my parents were out for the evening there was a babysitter and apparently I went up to my room and I said to her I want to pray I got down my bed and asked the Lord Jesus to 
come into my heart, I think was probably the words uh, I used. But having then gone on from there, uh, when I got into secondary school, I found it quite tough being a Christian. I probably tried to cover up the fact I was a Christian after a while. I, I, I think actually when I went to secondary school at first, it was quite out and out bold. And then I realized that didn't work as far as being cool or friendly. So <laughs> I kind of pulled back severely. And when I got into my kind of middle teens, I began to get some serious doubts. And I remember getting down and saying to God, if you're real, you're going to have to prove it to me because it just seems as if you're not real. And probably quite a dramatic experience at that stage because I went, this is crazy, but I went to a meeting and I said to God, save the most unusual person in, th in this meeting if you're real. And this guy who had a lot of mental health difficulties, a lot of special needs, got saved. And I remember thinking, wow, God actually listens to you. So that really shook me up. And from then on, I think that God helped me to pick myself up and, and realise that this was a, a very real thing. And Carol, what about yourself? I got saved when I was 11. I just started high school. I would like to have been saved a long time before that, probably from sort of eight, nine, maybe even younger. But I knew the gospel inside out, back to front. I could have told it to anybody, but I just couldn't really understand the believing. I knew I needed to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the more I tried to believe, it just didn't seem to work. And that really frustrated me and I got upset about it. But I never actually really discussed it with anyone, just, just personally myself. And my dad and mum, their prayer and, and ambition in life was to see their children saved. And dad would have taken me to lots of gospel meetings and I used to come home thinking, oh, I just love to be saved. And my cousin got saved. And at that point, I did say to my mum, I would like to get saved. And I think she was a bit concerned. Oh, you just may be saying that because your cousin's just become a Christian and got saved. But it wasn't that. And then just one night, I'd been at a gospel meeting in Bucna, a little tiny, don't even think it's a village, outside of Bellamina with my dad at a gospel meeting. And I came home and I was doing my homework and my mum said to me, Carol, do you ever think about getting saved? I said, yeah, all the time. I'd, I'd love to be saved. Anyway, that evening, we had a little chat about it. And that evening I went up to bed and I just, it was just like as if a light switched on. And I just realised it's not in the strength of my believing. It's just me resting on the Lord Jesus. And he has done all the work and it's him that saves me. I guess it's just the Holy Spirit just enlightens you and, and you see it for yourself. That was at 11. And I remember going into school the next day and saying to the girls, I got saved last night. And they kind of looked at me, absolute, what are you talking about? It was it was a good opportunity to, to tell them the first day what had actually happened. Um, yeah, that's the story of how I, I got saved. So I'm led to believe Balamina as this Bible belt of islands where every Christian seems to live. Was it easy growing up as a Christian in that area? I guess it was easy in that you had lots of Christian friends. The assembly in Balamina, when, when I was growing up, we would have probably had over 200 in fellowship. There was lots of young people, lots of families. I was from a big family. I'd like 23 cousins all sort of pretty much lived in and around Bellamina. So we were very blessed, definitely. It was a, a good time to, 
to grow up in Bellamina. And I started to go out with Stephen and he came over to Bellamina. He used to be amazed at the queues, the traffic jams on a Sunday for people going to their various different churches. Your traffic jams on Sunday were as bad as anywhere else on a (laughs) Monday morning. (laughs) But yeah, it was a good place. At school, I mean, we did get a lot of, kept going a lot at school for going to the gospel hall and all that sort of thing. But there was other Christians that you went to school with. There was plenty of support. I saw the sign on the entrance of Balamina, which said, Balamina still needs Jesus Christ. And it was immaculate. And I said, that would either be graffitied or on fire if it was in Newcastle. <laughs> but there just seems to be a, a general respect for, for Christianity. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I'm sure that has changed over the years, but there's still a phenomenal amount of gospel activity in County Antrim, which, yeah. is, which is wonderful. Have some more of it here. <laughs> I know, it would be good, wouldn't it? That's right. But if you go back to my father's youth in Liverpool, you had meetings of 400, 500, you had 1,000 people at a Saturday night meeting. So there's just been this great decline in the United Kingdom and a a lack of kind of gospel outreach. It's very hard to say what what is the cause. Is, Is the decline because of the lack of gospel outreach or did it just become a very secular, tough society and therefore it was difficult to do? But it's quite significant when you look back and see that there were prospering churches and assemblies on mainland England a long time ago but most places struggle with that now yeah absolutely the other thing is the population here is massive compared to Northern Ireland as well yeah but that should mean there's more people to see saved yeah but we don't have the same I don't think number per head of population of believers who are spreading the the good news the gospel yeah and also do you think that compared to back home liverpool would be far more diverse as far as other religions are concerned oh definitely yeah you would i mean it's only in recent years that you would have found people from a whole lot of different ethnic backgrounds moving into areas of northern ireland whereas liverpool has had i suppose liverpool is probably different to some of the other english cities in that it's a lot of old ethnic diversity in Liverpool, whereas you've got other nationalities that have come in recent years. So you'd have had a a big Chinese community in Liverpool for a long, long time, but maybe not the wide range of of other nations, but you do have a lot of them now. So Stephen, perhaps you could tell us how your education and career went. Well, that's a bit of an exaggeration, though. (laughs) That probably doesn't do my parents a lot of good. They obviously were very keen for us to study. I have an older brother and he went off to grammar school, but I went to a comprehensive. I don't know if that was a reflection on intelligence or what, but that's the way it worked out. But I left school at 16, a little bit disenchanted with school, couldn't quite see the point. Probably to my father's dismay, though he made me promise that whatever job I did, I'd I'd do the studying or the night school or whatever it was. So I joined a bank and I probably got my banking qualifications the hard way by going to night school and day release. It might have been easier to have stayed on and done hires and then gone to university. But at the end of the day, I I quite enjoyed it and I enjoyed working and I was earning money. And I, I worked in the bank for most of my career for about 27 years. It was Bank of Scotland and they moved me to England in the early 90s, which is how we ended up coming down here. But obviously by then I'd met Carol and we were we were married. So, yeah, my 
I can't give you a lot of accolades or, or any great education, but I got through at the end of the day. Carl's far more intelligent when it comes to that. I'm nodding. <laughs> Carl, you take or you tell us about your career. Well, my career, I always, from as long as I can remember, wanted to be a nurse. My dad used to get me a, a little comic called Twinkle. And it had a nurse Nancy in it. And she looked after all the toys at the children's hospital. And my auntie was a children's nurse. And I just never really considered any other career. That was what I wanted to do. And then when I was about 17, I think, I was seriously considering what I should do. I remember praying about it, whether I should go or to Belfast or what I should do. And I felt just through reading my Bible, the Lord made it very clear that that was, that was the route I was to go down. And so I went off to the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast and did my general nurse training. And then I left there and went to Glasgow Royal Maternity and did my midwifery. I continued to nurse until we moved to Liverpool 15, 15 years ago. So how did you two meet? We met once when my dad is, I guess a lot of people listening to this would probably know that my father travelled a lot preaching. Though having said that, maybe as a whole generation has never heard of, of my father, who was Jim Baker. So dad travelled a lot. And of course, my mother was from Belfast. So we would go across and from time to time to Belfast. But the first time I met Carl was at Larne, I think it was. And dad was across speaking there. But it was one of those strange situations where my dad knew her dad and they spoke to each other and Carl was in the background and I just kind of spotted her. To my amazement, I was going to say, but but anyway, to my great advantage, she came to Glasgow to do nursing and we both of us actually went to a holiday reunion that neither of us were on. So there's a strange thing. Neither of us were on the holiday. We both went to the holiday reunion and I spotted Carl that night and I, I told her I'd say this earlier. I saw her and that was it. I kind of fell in love with her from when I saw her but uh, I don't think she was as quick in falling in love with me <laughs> she was a fellow gate crusher that's basically how we met Stephen was working up in the north of Scotland at that stage with the bank in Malay yeah. I was I'd started my midwifery training in in Glasgow I went over in the November we didn't start going out to the July uh, officially he took me out for lunch before a late shift one Saturday because he just came down at, at weekends. Then sometimes I got the train up to... Uh, Tree and Lara. Got off and then drove back down with him in the car just because uh, the time was really limited. You were just home and, and away again. So I hope he treated you to a nice meal with his uh, bank manager's wages. You know, these bank managers have <laughs> loads of money. He, was, he wasn't a bank manager then, I can assure you that. <laughs> Or the country has not on quite so much. A little chef or something very like very posh like that. I think the, <laughs> yes, I think the first lunch was a little chef just near the hospital because I had to be on duty at two o'clock or something. You may have to explain what a little chef is to some of our younger readers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But they did do good pancakes with cherry filling. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you two eventually marry? We married in Ballymena. Yeah. On the twelfth of May, nineteen and eighty-nine. I'm just checking you knew that was all. I'll just say that in case Stephen gets it wrong. <laughs> all I know is we got engaged after seven months and uh, everybody went, wow. So, uh, but we knew what we wanted to do, which was good. I just like the fact Stephen went quiet let you answer that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how long was it before Emily came along? 
Not not long at all. Not long at all. We got married in May 1989 and Emily was born the next May in 1990. And then followed a few years later by Aby. Yeah, that's right. And we'd, we'd already moved to England. He was born in Sheffield. So Emily was born in the hospital where I worked in Glasgow and then we moved to Sheffield and Aby was born there. Was Emily born while you were at work just to kind of save some holidays? <laughs> no, I wasn't at work, but it was with the people I worked with um, in the hospital where I worked. Yeah. So was it unusual? It was very well looked after. The hospital had a very lovely name. It was called Rotten Row. <laughs> and I was given meals and food while poor Cal was um, in pain, but they looked after me very well. It's where you find out how well your, your co-workers like you. <laughs> That's yeah, right. No, it was all good. You've got your family life going nice and smooth, and you've got church life. But well, part of the interview tonight is to look at your call into full time service. So, how is it that the Lord called you? And was it a collective thing or was it an individual calling? Well, I think um, the Lord called both of us separately in one sense, but obviously it came to the point where we were both talking to each other about it. And from my point of view, I was very keen to serve the Lord from being a boy. Before my kind of teenage blip, I apparently used to preach in the house and I was, uh, you know, very keen as a little fellow. But uh, more seriously, whenever I got into my 20s and the bank was moving me about, I always remember distinctly thinking everywhere I went, wow, we could do with some people getting saved here. We could do with telling people about the gospel. And so I, I did children's meetings and community halls. I, I remember I look back now and think, wow, you had a bit of a nerve. I went around visiting people and knocking doors and trying to get people to kind of come to meetings or think about the gospel. So I, I guess the Lord just kind of ha awakened me with that kind of awareness. I also kind of deep down really wanted to be a missionary, if you want the honest truth. Family always laugh because I, at one stage, I was interested in Botswana and Africa, and I used to write to Clark and Hazel Logan, to Jim Legg and different people, um, but that never worked out. I can look back now and see why, because um, I don't particularly like the intense heat. I can't imagine having to live in that all of the time. But then the other extreme, I remember once thinking that there were no missionaries and there were very little churches in Iceland. So this is the one the family laugh at because I got one of these old language learning kits you used to get, one of these audio kits, and I started to learn Icelandic. Now, I can't speak a word of Icelandic now, but I tried my best then to learn some words and thought, oh, maybe. But obviously the Lord had just put in my heart an interest to tell people about the Lord Jesus. It wasn't until I was in my 40s that God actually finally got me to listen. And I, I look back because part of the that journey was, I felt the Lord was giving me a, a second opportunity. Now, I can't really explain that to people, but that just was very clear in my mind. The Lord was giving me a second opportunity. So I don't know, had I ignored, ignored something in my teens or in my 20s? I really don't know, was I so detached from God speaking to me? But it, the Lord definitely caught my attention, you know, in my 40s. I mean, I can add to that, but maybe let Carol just speak about how the Lord spoke to her. When I did my nursing, I always thought that I would have a desire to to use it in some way to serve the Lord. So I kind of had, would I go to Africa for a period of time? And this was all before Stephen came into the picture. 
And then when I met him and we talked about our future together and I said, well, actually, I'm actually planning on going somewhere to work. As we started to think seriously about getting married and everything, it was quite clear that I wasn't going abroad or anything at that point and just stayed in Scotland. I should say, Stephen was actually learning the Icelandic whenever we started going out. So I was a wee bit concerned about that. But Is that right? I forgot that. But Iceland was a bit... <laughs> A bit chilly. I just remember thinking, my goodness, Icelandic. But there is a bit of a history to that because where you worked at that stage in Malag on the west coast of Scotland, you had lots of Icelandic trawlers. Fishing trawlers. Coming and, and in. Pro- so, you know, fish was, processing boats. You know, it wasn't just a random, uh, where shall I pick, Iceland no. kind of thing. You will discover in this chat that Carl remembers details and I have long since forgotten them but that's why we're together because Carl can give you the accurate information and I'll just skirt over the surface <laughs> yeah so then then we got married and we both very much had a desire to to serve the Lord in our local assembly in Bridge of Weir so we had children's meetings in the village Quarriers village where we lived and lots of things but I would say this from the very beginning It's not about us, this. It's about so many other people. We were so blessed with good friends, good role models, couples who... It it didn't matter what assembly we were in. Yeah. There was usually an older couple or at least another couple who really challenged us about our Christian life. So we were just talking about this before uh, as we were thinking about the podcast that really... There's very little comes down to us. There's people who motivated you, people who influenced you, people who just were role models and you watched them and thought, well, that's the type of Christian I would like to be. And I think that anybody that's listening and you maybe think, well, I've never done what people perceive to be well-known things or whatever, how people describe it. You might be the person who's actually been the reason somebody's doing that and they might never have got there if it wasn't for you. And I, we both think that's really important. There was a, a sister in the assembly in Bridge of Weir and I was a new mum away from home. No, mum and dad weren't nearby. Stephen's parents were very busy and Stephen's mum was working. I mean, she was just an absolute total role model, gave me lots of good advice as an older Christian lady. And I that advice has stayed with me all my all my life. So I do think anything that we do, we've learned it from somebody else. What is a bit scary, Dan, is that the older Christian lady is probably the same age as we are now. So there we go. <laughs> well, she must have been ancient. Yeah. <laughs> but we thought so. <laughs> is it fair to say that you were both involved in evangelism and outreach long before you ever called? It was part of your ordinary Christian life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, that any local church cannot survive on people who've been called to a special work, it's, it's bread and butter is the, every person being involved and having a vision to, to tell people about the Lord Jesus. And also the Great Commission is that every Christian, whatever area or sphere you're called to share the gospel. We're just privileged that God has told us to free up our time to do that. Other people will meet people and cross the paths of people I'll never meet because my life has gone down a certain channel. They're still going to work. They're still out doing things. So everybody's got a sphere in which they interact with people. And 
you know, much as what we do, we believe is valuable and we hope that we're doing it for God's honour. It's only part of the picture because so many people out there are at work, meeting people, interacting with people that I'll never meet. And, and their role is just as vital. At what point did you then approach the elders and, and say, look, we feel as though we're being called? How did that take shape? Well, it, it, probably over a couple of years, various scriptures began to speak to us. And we had some very strange incidents that, looking back, we knew only God could have brought about. So, for instance, I, I'd left the bank by that stage. So for two years, I was self-employed. And I worked with a good friend in Scotland, and we had two little businesses. But one of the things I did was some training and lecturing. So I was I was a member of what was called the Professional Speaker Association. And I remember going to one of those events one night, and I was kind of confused at this stage because I felt God had was telling me to do this, but I wasn't sure was I right uh, at that stage or was that the right time to do it? And this lady who's Scottish, but was not a Christian, she turned around at the, this meeting and I can't remember how we got to it, but she turned around and she said to me, uh, cast your bread upon the waters and God will have it. Hold on a minute. So this lady is quoting the Bible to me. To my shame, I couldn't remember where that was in the Bible. So I go home, I look it up, and I find it's Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And God is saying that, you know, if you sow your seed in the morning, sow your seed in the evening, and God will decide what prospers. And I remember saying to Carol, and Carol probably embarrassed me saying this, but nearly every decision that we've made, and I feel that God has clearly told Carol almost so that that would confirm to me that it was the right decision. I remember saying to Carol, maybe God is saying to me, um, do your work during the day and serve me at night and God will decide how he will prosper that. And Carl said to me, no, no, maybe God's saying to you, sow the seed of the gospel during the day and sow the seed of the gospel at night and God will decide which one he prospers. And it, it was just so many things like that that were, they were not coincidences when you began to put them together. In fact, I remember sitting down with a friend who shall remain nameless because a lot of people would probably know his name if I said it. And I remember he was already had left his job and he was serving God in this way. And I remember talking to him and saying this, 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 this. And he stopped the car and he looked at me and he said, how many times do you need God to tell you to do what he's telling you to do? And I'm going, well, I just wanted to be sure. He said, well, I think he's kind of telling you what to do. So it was a compilation of, of scriptures, of events, of circumstances. And then the Lord began to, uh, and probably all of the time he was, I was, being spoken to, but there were some very clear things that the Lord said to you to to give you the confidence. Yeah, when we sort of talked about it at first, to be honest, I found the whole thing quite scary. More so just from a practical, financial point of view. We had both good jobs. I mean, I just work part-time nights, but we had good jobs. Financially, we didn't really want for anything. Uh, it was all, you know, very comfortable. And to, to go from that to not really knowing, I didn't doubt that God could provide, but it was just the uncertainty of never having proven that before. Um, so it was, I was all a bit, a bit sort of anxious about it. And um, so I'd really prayed about it. And there was about maybe six things that I, I was unsure about. I just wanted confirmation and our children were at the stage where they were either Emily was soon to go to university neither of them were married I just thought goodness how will this all work out we were living in Manchester still at the time and there was a missionary 
meeting, I think it was, or a ministry, no, missionary, no, it was a missionary weekend. weekend in Liverpool. And I said to Stephen, I think I'll, I'd really like to go to that. And he was busy. So I went across myself in the evening and it was just a life changing evening for me. The man who was speaking, it was as if the Lord had given him my <laughs> questions in advance. And like, he he's quite a straight speaker. He doesn't beat about the bush. And he he just very clearly answered every single one. And I came away thinking, well, we need to do this. There's all my worries and concerns have been completely dealt with. And so we both were very much in agreement. We were very clear that that's what the Lord wanted us to do. Quick personal question. How often have you had doubts since you had that confirmation? Did you ever look back and think, oh, what have we done? The Lord's not helping. The Lord's not providing as we thought he would. Did you ever have moments like that? Well, the way I would put it would be I've never had a doubt that God called us to do this. Okay. doesn't mean I've never had a week where I was terrified and thought, what's going on here? And we were just again talking about this earlier, that we have had times when we were totally skint and we didn't know how we we're going to pay for things. And I would have been cross, and that sounds terrible. I would have been cross with God and said, but you said. But I have to look back and say, much as that week or that month or that period was really tough, ultimately, he never let us down. But I, I had to learn that faith can't work if it's all easy. And if God gives you everything in advance, it's dead easy to trust him. But if God says to you, I'll look after you, but by the way, you're going to have to sweat a bit before this comes because you're going to have to learn to trust me, then that's really hard. But I, I can say, looking back, he hasn't let us down. But I would be telling lies if I didn't say there were days when I was worried and days when I was a bit cross with God and said, but you said. But then, and I'm not saying I'll never have a day like that again. Uh, life does change. Your kids grow up, they get married. They kind of, your financial burdens are different. So yes, that is is different. Um, but I'm not saying I'll never have a day when when I'm struggling again. But I have learned some of those lessons. And I know that, that God is faithful, even though I have doubted him at times. So I've never doubted he called me or called us. But that didn't mean there weren't scary moments. But would that be fair enough from you? Yeah, I would say that all of the verses, the situations that we find ourselves in, the confirmation that we were 100% convinced that that was what the Lord wanted us to do. When we were in those sticky situations, you look back to those, and you, but it was so clear. So we must be, we know this must be the right thing. We must be in the right place. But if we haven't gone through all those difficult situations, we, we wouldn't. We wouldn't have known God the way we do. It's those experiences that deepen your relationship with him and you prove him again and again. Even when that does happen, and sometimes you, you don't know what's going to happen, again, he provides for you. Things can go on fine and then you forget. We're so fickle, you know, you forget what he's done in the past and you have to remind yourself, yeah, but yeah. he's done that so many times. He's not going to let us down. And there's moments of pride. So, for instance, I remember when Emily got to the stage of needing a car, I had already had to, to use my savings to, to get through. I remember being cross and saying, but I thought I'd be able to buy her a car or at least help her get a car and all the rest of it. And yet when it came to her getting a car, 
The Lord didn't provide her with a car, but he provided a means by which she she was able to get a car herself. That I remember thinking, wow, the, the Lord just does it his own way. And I have a very dear friend who's now with, in heaven. Many people might, might know him. You may have heard of him, Ian Fleck. And I remember talking to him and saying to him way back, saying, Ian, should I use a credit card? And should I use this? Should I do that? And he looked at me and he says, God doesn't live in the 18th century. God lives in the 21st century. He knows you don't get brown paper packets through your front door. So he, he he can easily meet your credit card bill when it comes in at the end of the month. So he wasn't encouraging you to be unwise. But what he was saying was God works in our world as it is today. And I learned that even with Emily getting a car that the Lord could provide for her in a way that I wouldn't have expected. But I guess it's just a bit of pride in you that you think, oh, I'd like. And I think that's one of the difficult things that as a man, I think from a Christian perspective, you think your responsibility to provide for your family, and it is. But there's a sense in which God takes that from away from you. And he says, no, no, that's not your job now. That's my job. But pride says, mm, but I, I want to be able to provide. But you, you have to learn that, no, God will provide because he's your father as much as I'm their father. These are big lessons. I think it's fair to say that your situation doesn't make you immune from the normal doubts and, and struggles that we have when you know, we feel as though we should have this, we should do this, and the Lord should be blessed with this. And it doesn't always doesn't always work in, in our time and in our ways. No, 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 that's true. When you started out into full-time work for the Lord, how did you feel you were called initially to what, what area of service? Well, one of the verses that really spoke to me was from Acts chapter 6, give yourself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So I I, I don't think I've achieved this one, but I, uh, I really felt there was a burden to pray but also to preach and to preach both in terms of gospel, telling people about the Saviour and Bible teaching. Though the Lord did put a real burden on my heart that one of the primary things I had to do was to tell people about the Lord Jesus. I remember sitting down. Now, rightly or wrongly, I just didn't think that I was going to sit down and get people phoning me up and saying, could you take two weeks here, two weeks there? My mind never worked like that. Now, I know a lot of evangelists, that's mainly what they do. And they might think what I do is kind of, slightly bizarre compared to them but I I actually sat down with a sheet of paper and said right Lord what could I do to tell people about the gospel so I started off by going to business seminars because I'd been in in doing that type of thing in business and putting up a stand and putting up a text and giving out leaflets I wanted always enjoyed preaching on the street so I put up a stall and preached on the street in Manchester originally I still do the same in Liverpool. And I just looked for different avenues, going into schools, writing in newspapers, writing in magazines. And it's amazing how doors open, but it's also amazing how over time some doors close. And I'm pretty much of the mindset, my job is to look for opportunities to get the gospel in front of people, not so much to invite people into a building to hear. Now I do that, and I do that from time to time. And if, if we can get people in, that's great. I try and put a reasonable amount of stuff out on the internet. And we've found particularly um, over COVID that, you know, preaching live on Facebook or pre-recorded on Facebook, we can get a lot of people listening. So it's really looking for those avenues. And some of them, it's been amazing. And it's been amazing in that quite often the Lord saved people we haven't seen hundreds of people saved, but we've seen people saved in a lot of these different areas that almost you got the confidence, you know, keep doing that because the Lord can can use that to bless people. 
I don't personally feel I should be called to always be away from from my local church. So we felt that there were things we had to do there, and um, which are probably easier for Cal to talk about because a lot of them involve you as well. I I think from the from the word go, we were very much of the same mind that we knew we we had to sow seed. We we needed to get the message out there. Initially, we did try a lot of hiring community centres, having meetings, but very few people came in. Um, and and to be honest, we did find that quite discouraging. You yeah, know, we, yeah. it was a phenomenal amount of effort giving out invitations, getting the whole book. To, you, you just did everything. Maybe a few people came and didn't come back after a few nights. Whereas we found that in the city centre, all these different other opportunities of more going out with the gospel, we found we just we just met so many more people. And um, the first lady in Liverpool um, who got saved, we very often say to each other, you know, if if Mary had been the only person the Lord had saved over these years, it would all have been worth it. And she was saved by knocking her door. And the guy that came to the door was a guy she lived with. And he said to me, oh, I don't need that stuff. But the woman I live with does. I said, well, that's strange. Why do you think she does? Oh, she's an alcoholic. Her life's a mess and all the rest of it. But she's not here. She's away down the south of England visiting her son. So we went back together to visit her. And then for weeks and weeks into months, we would have just been there. You would have done a whole lot of different difficult things because of her condition mm. and eventually you know she got saved and if you saw her today it's just amazing she's, to see the she's, transformation she's just such an encouragement and that's 17 years ago she's just such a big encouragement to us yeah, isn't yeah. She? and and the lord saved like people and as stephen said in different different avenues of outreach so he saved so, another another lady who was quite a famous lawyer it just proved to us in those early days that God can save anyone and the gospel just needs to get out. And as you, you said, you know, Everybody. teaching you lessons like that particular lady, I remember her saying, I, I don't think I need this. You know, I, I, I don't live a bad life. And then she started to read the New Testament and I met her for coffee once. And she said to me, do you think God would have me? I said, but you said you didn't think you needed this. She says, well, I've been reading through this. I'm reading through Romans, she says. And I, I need this, she said, and she got saved. And, and you know, it, it's just, and she was at a completely different level of society to some of the other people that we met. And yet it's the same gospel, isn't it? it God powerfully works in everybody's life in different ways and different stages. Before it was cool to put Bible messages on Facebook and things during lockdown, you were doing it years ago. How is it that you started to, to do online stuff, podcasts, videos, how did that come about? Well, I have to say, first of all, Dan, that my podcasts are not as famous as yours, so that's why we're on here today. <laughs> and you might want to edit that bit out, but that's it. That's uh, going to be the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a bit of a natural progression, and hopefully we believe that we're all guided as well. So I made contact with people in business, and it, as I said, I used to go to do some business seminar. I was still invited actually to do some business seminars. So I'd do something like, what does the Bible have to say about being in business? And then I would slot in the gospel somewhere in that. But then 
life moved on. People were going on to things like LinkedIn and making contacts. So I thought, well, that's a good idea. So I began to make contacts and I ended up with seven or 8,000 contacts just by people cross-referring people. And then I thought, well, it would be a good thing to, if all those people, you know, at least maybe even if 10% of them listened to a gospel message. So then began to do some podcast short gospel messages and put them on there. And it just kind of evolved in that sense. But I suppose it was because I'd sat down literally with a blank sheet of paper and said, what avenues can I use to get this message out? And as Carol said, because of the frustration, you could be booking a community hall every Wednesday night. And for five years, you saw five people come in or maybe 10 people come in. And you thought, but I can actually speak to a lot more people. I know the face-to-face thing is really important, but it's trying to make that initial contact and then be able to build on it. And I, I found that social media was a way to actually uh, get the get the message out, but also you had a bit more of an idea of who was actually... So if I put a, pod, a, a blog up, I can tell you how many people have read it. Yeah. If I give out tracks in the street, as I still do, and when we're preaching in the open air, all I know is how many I gave out. There's pros and cons. It's easier face-to-face to get a reaction from people to find out where they are but you're actually interfacing with more people when you're doing the social media route but we probably need both and, and one needs to build on the other but the work's actually developed into you doing bible teaching and radio work abroad so perhaps you could go into some of those avenues that have opened up yeah, so about five years ago, I had probably four, about five years, started to put some gospel videos on YouTube and then Bible teaching. And one of the things I have noticed over the years is there are believers across our country and across the world who just would love help and would love a little bit more Bible teaching. And I'm not claiming that I'm the guy to do it. I'm just saying there is a need out there. So I would post something and then I get something back from maybe a guy in Africa who's saying, I never knew that Jesus was going to come again for the church. Tell me more. So then you would do another video on that, or maybe someone would see something about relationships and say, so I ended up doing kind of blocks of, of different things of Bible teaching as well as gospel. Unknown to me, There were people both in Uganda and in Pakistan who'd started to watch these. And two men in particular got in contact with me and both said we would like some some help with Bible teaching. One of them was a pastor of a church in Uganda. So Sanya, who I'm going out to visit next week. And I was really honest with him. And I said, Sanya, look, I'm not in the business of upsetting people. So if you know, I'm happy to talk to you and happy to explain what I believe the Bible teaches. But what I wouldn't want is every time we have a conversation that you're offended because I'm saying that I don't think the Bible teaches this, that, the next thing, but you do. Well, to my amazement, he said to me, look, I just want to know what the Bible teaches. So if you tell me and if I can see that's what the Bible teaches, that's great with me. And that's been his whole approach. So over those four years that we've been doing that, four stroke, five years, he's basically stepped back from being the pastor to being one of the elders. And I went out to see them last year and they've already, as I I think I'm saying to you before we started the podcast, they're brilliant evangelists. So they're seeing people saved in lots of different places and he's always looking for opportunities. So he came to me one day and he said, "Um, I could get us on the radio for an hour a week to preach. He said, but it's very expensive. Well, you've got to bear in mind that they're poor compared to us. So I said, so what are we talking about? Well, he said, it's about 
35 pounds a month. I'm going, wow, 35 pounds a month for five programs an hour long each week. So I said, that's fine. We'll, we, we'll pay for that as long as God provides for us. We'll pay for that. So we have a program once a week and he introduces it. I preach for a bit. Then he takes calls and, and answers some questions. And then I conclude. And the thrill is that there are people getting saved pretty regularly. And then he follows them up. And that's why there are now three gatherings of believers that he's worked with. The, the other people were from Pakistan and I was probably a little bit more cautious about that because I didn't know anybody in Pakistan and you hear about all sorts of stories. And so I was cautious and this brother um, was very persistent, kept contacting me saying, you need to talk to me. So eventually I said, okay, it, what he wanted initially was for me to talk to groups of people. I said, well, let's talk you and me. And we're still doing that. So I have a Bible study with him on a Wednesday afternoon. That is an even more incredible story which I've written a report on so people will be able to read it in the Believers magazine in February. So I'll not go through the details of how I met him and how that developed. But he's basically been preaching the gospel since he was a young man of 18. And there are 20 assemblies and there are just amazing numbers of believers. But they suffer if you get saved from a non-Christian background, the religion of their country. Well, one man died last week because they, they pushed him into a furnace because he believed in the Lord Jesus. So there are big prices for them to pay for following the Lord Jesus. But what a thrill and what a mighty what God is doing. And I, I just stand back and think, all I'm doing is helping those guys. Those guys are doing the real work. But I've had the privilege of opening the Bible with them and saying, yes, you're right. That is what the Bible teaches. Or maybe have you looked at this passage? And I, I'm pretty much just a support to them. But it is quite intense and it's and it takes a lot of time because they would message you regularly during the day and they'll have questions and then I have once a week when we're actually online together. But it, it's been a very great encouragement and amazing how that door is opened and something you just couldn't ignore when the Lord kind of brought it to you. And what about in the assembly in Heighton? Witnessing is not just about the guy preaching. It's it's about those conversations that I have to be reminded to keep relationships warm. Carol does that without thinking. And I think very often that's what sisters do. They're, they're far more of a rapport with people. When we moved to Sheffield, um, to Kilmarsh, we started a toddler group. A friend of mine, Louise, and I did start that. And I've been doing that now for 33 years, I suppose. It makes me feel very old. In Swinton, they didn't have a toddler group and we did it there and, and then when we came here. And really, through that toddler group, the majority of the contacts we have for the children's work, children's meetings, all usually are people who have been, a lot of them have been to the toddler group. The parents get to know us, they trust us, and they're, they then feel happy for their children to come along it's a great place to have one-to-one -one conversations. If Stephen's at home, he comes and does a Bible story and we sing. And it's just wonderful to hear those little ones. Today we were there and there's a little girl at the minute and she's she's just amazing. She, she's shouting, Stephen, rolled away, rolled away. And oh, she, she just does your heart good. It really makes it all worthwhile. Uh, yes, yeah, so we have that, and we have we've had we have weeks of children's meetings. We've had after school clubs. Again, as you say, there is always a, a view to getting the gospel across, and things work for a while, and then you don't have the manpower, and you have to change to 
to a different a different way and it's I think it's good good to be prepared to change you don't have to stick with the one thing forever God very much open and closes doors and opportunities arise and they go on so we have that and then on a Thursday morning both Stephen and I lost our dads in the one year to different forms of dementia and we were very aware that there was really nothing for them to attend during the day. A lot of the groups provided by the health service were just not appropriate, wouldn't be things that they would have been involved in. So we decided we thought it would be good to start something that would be useful for Christians. So we have a group on a Thursday once a month, and that's mainly a brother in the assembly who's a consultant and dementia is he's years and years of experience. So we help him really with that. That's been really encouraging and people come with their, some of them have relatives who have dementia and they bring them and some other older people who just have mild cognitive decline come too. And that's just a completely different sector of people. So it's it's lots of different things to reach out into our local, local community, very similar to what you're doing yourself, Dan. I think I probably have over the years just realized that I need to focus my efforts on heighten and, you know, that area. And then the other things that I do believe the Lord has called me to do, but I mustn't neglect. So I'm pretty much just involved in the routine and we're in a small assembly. So you just got to get involved in terms of organizing things and, and making sure things happen. So you know, we, one of the frustrations is we have loads and loads of good contacts and we say, Lord, when are they going to get saved? But, you know, I think hopefully lots of believers are like that. So I can walk around the streets or within the vicinity of the hall and I know a lot of people, but that's because we've been there for 15 years and lots of these people have been through the toddler group and their children come to the children's work and They've been in and out of the hall. We have a community tea once a month on a Sunday. And so there's things that they can come to, but it's trying to remind yourself this is a long-term work and, you know, you're building relationships and you're building contacts and you pray. And there's people come to the hall. You might be at the hall and a guy will wander in the car park and he'll say, hi, I haven't seen you for ages. And you'll stand there and talk. And you say, why don't you come on Sunday? Ah, oh, no, it's too heavy for me. But you've still got that contact. It's still making contact with you. And it's just trying to see what stage will the Lord speak to them or will they let the Lord speak to them and, and remembering that God can, can work in all of those lives. You know, sometimes places say, oh, we had 147 and we had this and that. And that that's great. Are they all concentrating, listening? You know, God can work in, in all sorts of situations. And we I think we've found over the years that the Lord sort of gives you the, the number that you can manage. You've physically got the safe manpower to manage. If we got 100 children, we couldn't cope. No. Yeah. Yeah, be a lovely problem to have, though, wouldn't it? That's right. It would be. What advice would you give to some of our younger listeners as far as seeking God's will for them and having a desire to evangelise and reach the lost? Are there any lessons you've learned down the years that you would pass on? I would probably say just get involved. Don't just aim at one thing. There's the danger that some people say, well, I'm just going to preach and I'm going to just... Whereas you, you, you need to... Be involved, be willing, do the nitty gritty hard work of everyday church life. We, we all of us need to be careful that we, because I can be really guilty of this, 
that we're not just busy doing stuff and neglect our own relationship with God. And so we're actually just almost technically doing jobs and projects. And that maybe is a man thing more than a woman. I don't know. But it's important, I think, to allow God to guide you and to be sensitive to God's direction. I don't mean by that you just sit back and never do anything. I think we need to be involved and look for opportunities. And I think God gives us an awareness of things. But it is important just to walk with God and to be aware that it's God who's going to do anything and not not just ideas that we have. And how important have you found prayer to be down the years? I know you mentioned verse in Acts about praying and, and initially that was something you had on your heart. Mm-hmm. But how important has it been in sustaining you and keeping you as you've worked for the Lord? You really can't do anything without knowing God's power, but I would be very hypocritical if I said that I always prayed about everything as much as I should because I didn't. But you become very aware that you're just going through the motions or that you're, you know, you're going to, you're too busy and you're not spending time with the Lord. But I also think that I hopefully have learned over the years that prayer isn't just that specific point at which you get on your knees. And I think it's good to do that, but I don't think it's just that. Try to develop talking to God in throughout the day and in as things come up. And I suppose that's possibly what Paul meant when he said pray without ceasing. He wasn't just saying that we should sit in a monastery and pray, but he was saying that should be the habit and the atmosphere in which we we operate. I think it's just very much, I personally just find it easier just to pray when the thing comes into your head because the day's busy and if you don't do it there and then, you very often, well, I certainly very often forget about it. I just would say for people... I am encouraged by so many of the younger generation that are coming up behind us who are really throwing their weight into their local churches, both male and female. I get a lot of encouragement when I chat to people. Be involved as much as you can. Make good friendships with people that are like-minded. You're all kind of serving this the same saviour, aiming for the same goals, We're all in the Lord's work. We're not special by any means. There's so many people. There's people in our assembly. We we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for them. Even in, in the Liverpool assemblies, we all work very, very closely together. We're all, you know, we're not massive, but there's so much support. We're very blessed from that point of view. We get a lot of help and encouragement from other believers in, in the city. And I just say, if ask the Lord, he, he will definitely guide you. That was the thing I did want to say was, I remember years ago, a friend saying to me, oh, you know, such and such a person is, is going to serve the Lord full time. And this is the story. And they told the whole story. And it was all very good and encouraging. But I remember at that time saying, but it's not just people who serve the Lord full time that God speaks to. He should be speaking to all of us. It's just we're just in a slightly different position and that we give up our jobs to to do this all the time. But I am very aware that lots and lots of people are serving the Lord full time every day in their jobs. Mm. I think I would categorize it simply that the two differences that we have is one, our income, and the other is our time. So you've got a job 
God could take that job away or give you a better one tomorrow if he wanted to. So our source of income might be different in the sense that, you know, we just, we trust God. But obviously, we also have the privilege that we can use our time differently, but then we become more responsible for how we use that time. I suppose you'd ask about a little bit of advice. I think probably one thing I, I would kind of say is that Christians need to be careful that they cultivate relationships, not just with good Christians, which is very, very important, as Carol said, but they also need to cultivate good relationships with people who are not Christians. And I know it's a very difficult balance mm. because you don't want to get sucked into your, your core friendship group should be Christians, and they're the people that you know will support you and influence you. But we can't be so isolated from the world that there aren't people that actually we can chat to or that they trust us or they ask us for advice or we can help them or they can help us. So I think that's really important to keep that balance and to make sure that we are genuinely interested in people. Scripture says, do good unto all men, but especially unto those who are of the household of faith. And I think, I've probably not learned the lesson yet, but I think that is one major thing that I learned looking at sisters is they so often do things that open doors that maybe a man never thinks of because they see opportunities or they help people and that gives them that link then to be able to share the gospel at some stage later on. And the Lord was called a friend of sinners. And I know he is the only perfect man was unaffected by their sin as we, we possibly could be and, and could stumble and fall. But certainly we should be friendly towards the sinner to, to create those opportunities to share the gospel. Indeed, absolutely right. Yeah, and I th I think another thing is find ways to get to know people in your community. It's different in maybe in villages and things. I was chatting to a friend today, and we were she's mainly lived in villages, and it's very much a community lifestyle. City life is is different. You need to get to know people. The area of the city where you live. I've had the opportunity to be involved with a local children's charity just doing volunteer and visiting to families in the community. And that's been a great way of getting to know people in the area around about where the hall is and, and just making, making contacts with families. And it's not very long in those visits before questions come up about all sorts of things. And you have the opportunity to share about your life and how, what you believe and how that affects your life and just so many opportunities certainly get out get out with the gospel to normalize christianity because for lots of people the only christians they would hear about is what the media would portray yeah yeah that's right so this brings me on to my penultimate question what things would you like people to pray for if you're talking about us as a couple i would say please pray that god would give us the wisdom to do the right things i think one of the most difficult things about serving god in this capacity is you don't have a boss who says, that's right, that's wrong, shouldn't be doing that. So you, you're trusting that you're making wise decisions and you're taking advice from each other and you're you know praying that you're walking down the right path, that God would help us to be wise, to, to do the right things and to take the right steps. And even if that's not necessarily what everybody else is doing or what is popular, uh, to be sure that if God guides you in that role than than to do it and when it comes to the the work in these other countries um 
we just want people to pray for these believers in Pakistan who go through such difficult times for being believers and the Lord would sustain them and support them. And, you know, over the last, through COVID, through the stuff with Afghanistan and the Taliban, through the flooding, I could not speak highly enough of the generosity and kindness of Christians. Christians are tremendous people with all their flaws, with all their faults, their generosity and kindness. And I'm not saying other people wouldn't do that, but I'm only speaking about my experience of their generosity. So we're incredibly grateful for that. But these people really appreciate and need our fellowship and prayer uh, and in all the other ways that have been shown as well. My last question is always the same. Which verse or verses have you found helpful or impactful in your Christian life? We were chatting about this earlier and there's just so many. But I was trying to think of the verse that I have enjoyed for the longest in my life. And that is a very short little verse. And it's simply, be not afraid, only believe. And the reason I remember that verse for such a long time is my dad used to write little verses and put them in my lunchbox if I had exams at school or something like that. So that was a verse that he gave me on a little piece of paper wrapped up in my lunchbox. It has just stuck with me for a really, well, all my life. And quite often if I'm in a stressful situation or whatever, that that verse will come to, to mind. Be not afraid, only believe. And just trust, trust the Lord. And, you know, we've had the, the privilege of proving him time and time again. There's a verse that uh, really challenges me because we can all be full of our own selves and get carried away if things are going well. And Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, but not unto us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And at the end of the day, everything we've got is because of the steadfast love of God and the faithfulness of God. And the psalmist is basically saying, don't take the glory for yourself, but unto God's name, give glory because he's the source of even. And I think it's so amazing being a Christian because he saves you. He promises you heaven. He gives you some ability and opportunity to serve him. And then he says, and I'll reward you for that. You think, wow, you couldn't get a better deal than that. But this verse says, but give glory to his name because God is great and, and what he has done is wonderful. I'll remove the pause while Carol finds the Bible verse. Sorry, sorry, no, I've got the Bible verse. <laughs> Mark 5 and 36. Okay. Thank you both very much for your time. It feels like a long time ago since we scheduled this, this slot into the busy schedule. So I appreciate your time and effort. Oh, no, it's been really good. It's been good to be with you, Dan. And uh, thank you for these podcasts. I think uh, they're great encouragement to people. And there's a good variety of different types of people, which makes them very interesting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Testimony Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please consider leaving a review and sharing it on social media with friends. Thank you.